Okay, so welcome to the Bonus Podcast. I'm the host, Donatas Urbanas, and I'm joined by my beloved co-host, Eric McCollum. Hello, Eric. Welcome back. Always good to be back at the start of the year lead season. Did you miss me? A lot, a lot. I'm, I was so happy to see you wearing the right shirt, actually, for this podcast. So I'm super excited. It's been a while. So we all, we are, we're all missing your great uh, intakes and in, uh, takes and insights about basketball. But we also have a debut or bonus appearance uh, by Eric's ex-teammate, Brian Angola from Hapoel Tel Aviv. So hello, Brian. Hey guys, it's, it's a pleasure to be here, you know, listening to Eric last year, every, day, every time the podcast was on, it's was, it was amazing. It's actually know, difficult to have ex-teammates because we spend like 30 minutes before actually starting recording the podcast, so thank God I told my wife <laughs> that I will come back home pretty late, so <laughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> hey, hey man, you know, we had a really good, really good season last year. Yeah. The message on the team was amazing, you know. A lot of team dinners. Yes, a of, brotherhood. A reunions. <laughs> yeah, and w- one of the reasons why Brian joined us tonight, besides being a great basketball player, is that one good source told me that he is, quote-unquote, a smart guy who knows your league well and in tune. But the other reason uh, is events happening in Israel, Israel right now. So, you know, first and foremost... Our prayers uh, go out to the people of Israel and to all innocent people affected by the recent attacks in Israeli territory. Stay strong, everyone. And, you know, so to start with you, Brian, you know, we're talking on Sunday nights, Sunday evening, just in case. We might publish this podcast on Monday. But anyways, are you safe? Do you feel safe right now? What's the current situation like in your area of Tel Aviv and the city in general? Because... When I actually texted you earlier today, I was quite surprised when you told me that you went to the practice, you finished it, and you t- returned home, so you'll be free tonight. And I was like, I thought that you were hiding in the shelter, you know, the, the last two days. So, you know, people h- might have some different picture of what's really going on in the country. So can you, could you paint a picture for us of the situation you're uh, about right now? Well, it's, 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 it's a tough situation. I mean, I've never been in places in a situation like this. I mean, it was in 2021 or something similar, not like this. But like yesterday, it was probably 6.30 in the morning. All you hear is the alarm going off. It's a siren that goes off uh, in Tel Aviv. I wake up and I'm like, damn, it's happening again. And all you have to do is go hide in a shelter. Uh, for myself and people in Tel Aviv is it's not really really a lot of stuff going on but in the south part of Israel which is for me is close one hour away from Israel is 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 unbelievable. I mean you guys see the videos people is getting uh, more people is getting kidnapping uh, it's, it's something that I can explain the feeling even though people do a really good job of telling us to stay calm like we safe over here but for me one hour away is nothing. I'm feeling all this. Uh, the, every street is empty. Everywhere is, is everybody is home. Uh, today we went to the practice. It was just to, to, to see what was going on, what was going to happen. We have no clue what was going to happen yet uh, with us. I mean, some people is trying to go home, go somewhere close, so we can stay safe. But like I said, it's, it's a tough situation. Uh, not a lot of people is, feel safe. The teams in Escalon and those things over there that where is the main 
place, but the, the war is going on right now. They already evacuated. But it's a lot of people that are still there, you know. And, and the streets, you see videos, you cannot be in the streets. It's, uh, they coming into the, the, the city and just shooting whoever's in the street, no matter what, who it is. So it's, it's tough, man. I mean, pray, like you said, pray for the people of, of Israel, for us that are here. And, and hopefully it's sort out quick. I mean, I know, I know. I don't want nobody to be in this time. What are you hearing from your team, uh, the management and the local community? How do, do they perceive this conflict as being different from the previous instances? Because it's not the first time that Israel has been attacked from, from Gaza, but it's certainly the most significant one. So, you know, what, what are the locals talking about this whole situation and the potential outcome of it? I mean, it's, it's, I, mean I feel the, the, the locals and my teammates for, 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 for once, it's like, they might be the ones that had to go to, to, to the army and join the army because I mean, some of my demons are 21, 20 years old that are still in the army. Because in Israel, it's mandatory for you to go to the army when you're 18 until you're 21. So it's like if they get a call, some of them already got it and, and, and they will have to go. And it's tough because we're still in, in European competition. And I know I saw Israel, like everything is, is normal. But at this point, like basketball is a different subject right here like we're talking about people getting kidnapped people getting killed and and for us some of the team i think the whole team is, is going somewhere they're trying to plan to go somewhere and stay somewhere and the game got canceled this week but next week probably will be a game depends how the outcome of what's going on right now nobody know what's going to happen you know like uh, we're talking about when there was a war over there in, in russia and, and ukraine they started we have been nowhere more than a year and a half, two years that is going on. So we don't know what's going to happen. And, and some of my friends, and my teammates, have families that live in that in that area. Have families that are in the army. Have people that is is, is missing. So uh, I feel bad for them because you kind of focus playing basketball when your family. You don't know where your family is. You know, you know what's going to happen to your people. So this is tough. I mean, no, we got to keep. keep doing what we do but at one point we just gotta be able to see what's gonna happen with their lives do, do you hear what do they say on tv um what are the official numbers of devs are they you know starting to contain the attack uh are they responding what was the situation i don't i don't really see on tv like because i don't understand what they're saying like their their language but what i see in, in and Instagram, some of the Instagram pages, the official pages, is like it's over, over, probably three hundred kidnaps, and missing people. It's over six hundred uh, dead people, murder. And it's over uh, two thousand people injured, and has more than five thousand missiles already shot. And like we said before, Israel have been attacked with missiles, and the air dome is a very great protection for them. But this time they came into Israel. Time, this time it's like they came into your backyard, come to your house and take your kids. Something that you gotta protect yourself, you gotta protect your people. And, and it's, it's like I say, it's tough, it's tough situation. You can see it uh, today, the faces of our, our, our teammates and the, and the people, it was, it was tough to see them. And, and you know, me as a, as a somebody from Colombia, I've been in this situation, it's tough for me because I mean, I can't imagine my family going through this and, and, 
and uh, seeing in their faces is, is, is really sad. Man. Speaking of really protection, uh, I read some reports that there was a special flight arranged for the foreigner players to travel to Athens in particular, both on Saturday and Sunday. And I've actually heard that the first flight uh, faced quite a few challenges. For instance, the departure was delayed by three hours due to bombing in Tel Aviv. So they had to wait, you know, to, for a safe window to take off, uh, but they did manage, you know, to safely reach Athens. Uh, so, meanwhile, you remained in Israel. So, can you shed some light on the other on the plan for Hapoel Tel Aviv players? What are you going to do moving forward? Why did you stay? Uh, we just we just waiting for for our team. They do a really good job of keeping us posted of what's going to happen and what's going on. We just waiting for them to to manage. Uh, say right now, tomorrow we will probably have a Sorry, <clears throat> we will have a flight uh, to go somewhere. We don't know yet when we're going, but we will in Israel. Uh, and it's tough. I mean, the airport is full of people. It's, everybody's trying to leave. So at the same moment, it's like, you're trying to go, but the airport is um, over a thousand people trying to leave because they don't know what's going to happen. And at one point, in, when it's war, it's like, you don't know if they're going to shut down the airport. That's the only way to get out of Israel. Because, like I say, it's, it's surrounding my people that want to do harm to them. So it's, it's, it's kind of a hard situation from where you see it. It's, it's unbelievable. And it's, it's tough to be here because I get calls every day since yesterday. My phone ringing all the time. My messages, like I got over 100 messages from people back home, like, what's going on? What's happening? Are you okay? You got to get out of there. And, did did you yeah. have an option to join that flight? Uh, we did, they called me uh, yesterday and asked me about it, but I wanted to make sure my team, what was going to happen and what they was going to do, you know. I still uh, have an uh, uh, obligation with my team when I play here. Uh, in 2021, when I played here, they did a really good job too, to sending us somewhere to the north where we were safer. But at this time, it's like, it's a different situation. So I just like to make sure the team... Uh, Will give me a good, good, good chance to, to stay safe, and they did. They do it. They're doing a good job. So, so tomorrow we will probably will, will leave Israel. What, what you guys, what you both foresee for the foreigner players this season in Israel? Do you anticipate a significant number of players hitting the market, becoming available? Uh, what agents try to tell you, Brian, you know, what you might expect. And are there any exit clauses and contracts when you sign in Israel uh, that would be related to some, you know, safety situations, situations like bombing, war or, or something? Because as I've mentioned, it's not the first time something happens. And there were occasions uh, that went uh, to, to the court. Well, uh Right now, for me, it's, it's my agent texts me and he said, if I wanted to go to Greece and feel safe over there, I was more welcome. But I think uh, nobody's prepared for this. I mean, uh, they had it before in the past, but uh, like you say, it was some, some missiles and stuff that they sent over here, but the Air Dome do a really good job of protecting Israel and the Army and the intelligence of Israel do a really good job. But this time it's different. They came into Israel, they in the streets of Israel. So... It's hard to figure out how the league will start again until all this is solved. And then the European teams, which is uh, a couple of them, maybe Nesiona, Halon, Jerusalem, Az, Tel Aviv, Persalia, it's going to be hard to see how the European competition will approach this because 
the same time, teams cannot probably will be able to stay in Israel and travel to go play. It's, it's impossible. I don't see that happening. So nobody knows what's going to happen. So we just have to wait and pray. And it's tough because there's really no you know, precedence when you see this. Um, you know, you reach out for the people, you feel for them all. And I don't know how, like Brian said, they could even continue the season um, until um, these issues are resolved and, you know, peace you know, has occurred. So um, until then, it's going to be hard not only to keep the teams going, but to keep the foreigners there. Um, oftentimes in contracts, you have what you call as a force majeure. Um, and if the, basically an act of God occurs, um, a team is off the hook on paying a player. Um, if something out of control happened, it could be something weather-related um, that could cancel the season, or it could be something like an act of war. Um, and usually um, those people are free, and the player can exit, or um, the team can exit the deal, and no one is on the hook for the money um, owed besides the money that you played. And usually you get your letter of clearance immediately. You know, I'm hoping it doesn't come to that for a lot of guys. I'm hoping, um, you know, things can return back to normal for Israel, and, um, you know, their people can be safe. But um, these are you know some of the logistics that they could be you know seeing ahead of time. I mean, obviously it's way different you know than the Russia situation you know when it, with Ukraine and that conflict, um, because that wasn't on Russian territory you know. But there was one Ukraine team that was you know in Champions League and they kind of just relocated. But with that a number amount of teams, it could be tough to relocate eight nine teams. So you know I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Well, I hope you all be you all gonna be fine in Israel, and the situation will will solve out, and we'll, we'll reach this peace. Uh, so that we could talk only about basketball, and we'll we'll also try to talk about basketball on this podcast because we had an exciting season opener opener in the Euroleague. But before we start, there's something important I'd like to share with Mr. Eric McCollum from our beloved coach Ergnataman. About a month ago, Coach Atman participated uh, in an interview with Sogrates Dergi, the Turkish media outlet, during which journalist uh, Ugur Ozan, Ozan Sulak asked him about you. And uh, since it marks er Eric's return to our podcast, I believe it's the perfect time to discuss this matter because the journalist's question was like this, uh, quote-unquote, speaking of roster building in a podcast, Eric McCollum said about you that you're the best GM in Europe. What do you think about that? And Ataman's response was, I know Eric, we won the Euro Cup together in Galatasaray, but while playing for a team still having an active career, I don't know how good and how it makes sense doing a podcast and talking about other players, other teams. Maybe it's the NBA style, but I don't say anything about his game because that's not my job and he should do the same. But anyway, <laughs> so I just, we, we just all want to hear your reactions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was complimentary. You know, I, I oh give credit God. when it was due. Um, you know, at the end of the day, everyone has interest, you know, outside of basketball. I think I do my job pretty well, um, you know, to say the least. You know, through the course of my career, we have good history with the championship and, you know, he probably doesn't want the spotlight on him too much coming from me, you know, maybe from, <laughs> you know, the other media members. It's different when you um, coached a, a player, you had a, a coach-player relationship, and you probably don't want to, you know, 
tread those type of waters. Um, but, you know, I have nothing but, um, you know, respect for Autumn and his career, you know, what he's done. And I wish him the best in Panthinaikos. But I will continue to talk about basketball. These are facts <laughs> and this is life. You know, I will not shut up and dribble. <laughs> yeah. We had a lot, we had a lot of, a lot of conversations in the locker room about basketball with Eric. You know, you always basketball minded, man. You know, NBA, era of uh, high school, everything. Everything, Eric. You gotta enjoy it. Like, you know, the game is a privilege. It's a blessing, you know, for me to be able to play it, for me to watch it, to see it. You know, I enjoy it. And um, anyone who's a fan of the game, whether you're a casual person at home, where you're someone who watches every game, I think um, sports wouldn't be sports um, if we didn't have uh, a dialogue or if we didn't have that passion to speak about it. So, you know, good luck to Panathinaikos. You know, wish him the best. And, you know, um, Hopefully, um, they're not too distracted by um, my opinion. <laughs> yeah, having players and having players on the podcast in the NBA is something you know we all got used to. Some players, even by themselves, started their podcasts, like Draymond Green doing his own podcast straight after the finals game. Or there's the podcast by Paul George, Patrick Beverly, still active and and really great players. But at the same time, I'm not surprised that we're hearing some reactions and feedback from the yearly coaches or, or players or whoever it might be, because it was not that popular for players. I, okay, not just not popular. I never heard any player in Europe during a podcast and talking very open, especially as open as Eric does because of his experience, because of his status, because of him basically having nothing to lose. So he's just open-minded, sharing his basketball knowledge and experience. And I remember probably this episode when I had Eric and Shane Larkin on the podcast, maybe it kind of, you know, uh, reached uh, Eric uh, Erginataman's uh, ears and maybe he was a little bit offended the way we described his style, because we didn't take any credit from his, you know, uh, history from from him being a winner. Uh, we didn't take any credit from him being a back-to-back -back EuroLeague champion, reach, winning all those titles with Galatasaray and with all the uh, all of our teams. We just kind of explained in detail that he has a different style, and there's nothing wrong about that. But maybe you know he thought that you guys were a little bit more open, yeah. or. And I was I was um, unaware well. until one of my old teammates told me uh, what he said, and I just <laughs> laughed. But oftentimes, I think really he has no problem with me talking because I don't play for his team. You know what I say, I'm sure it doesn't affect you know their performance, how they play, none of that. I think it puts a lot of fear in other year lead coaches because they don't want players to maybe start a podcast, maybe join a podcast, and to be talking live about players and stuff. But me. Um, I'm not in the Euro League, but even if I was, I would feel comfortable to talk about it. It's not like you're giving trade secrets. It's not like you're um, giving your game plan up. You know, you're just saying what you see on the court or, you know, what you see with players, what players you think, you know, are, are turning the corner. You know, I don't really bash players. That's not what I do. You know, if someone doesn't play well, they don't play well, but I'm not going to go in and, you know, be overly criticizing them. Like, I'll just be like, he didn't play at his level. He didn't play, you know, to his standard. But I'm not going to sit there and bash players because I know – the game of basketball is full of ups and downs, and it's impossible to be perfect every night. You know, I know what people put into the game. I respect the crap. But I think a lot of coaches are going to say or feel how Ergen feels because they don't want their players doing this. They don't want other players doing this. So if you discourage it, you know, through me or through somebody else, 
you can maybe discourage other players from potentially doing it, especially a player who could be disgruntled. Think about it's a long season. There's 70 games. What if a player who has a podcast and they're upset with their minutes or their role, they're not playing? I mean, you've already seen players go to Twitter, talk about maybe touches, minutes throughout the course of a year, but imagine the power of a podcast. So, you know, it probably puts fear in them. It's not traditional. And anytime you're doing something new, um, there's always going to be backlash. But the good news is, you know, he heard it. It's reaching him. Basket news about his podcast. That means we're, we're on to something. You know, keep going. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's something probably like everything just do other in basketball, maybe in Europe, uh, it's, it seems like a distraction. So probably people don't want to see, um, coaches don't want to see you doing stuff, yeah. at least on basketball related or other in basketball. Like you can't but I, I always say I'd rather have a player who has a healthy habit. Too talking and watching basketball that means they're watching film they're seeing all the teams they're seeing what's happening what's going on how to guard certain players how to adjust to different defenses because you're watching it in order to speak about it you have to see it you could be doing other unhealthy hobbits you know you know i could be in a club i could be out partying but me i'm sitting here watching basketball with my family and then talking about it you know i think if a coach knows the player is mature it helps that i'm 35 they know that i'm going to come do my job no matter what um, they're okay with it. But if I was 25 for sure, I think this would be a big problem and it would be bad for my career just because of the pressure from coaches. Yeah, you can do it. <laughs> for you, for you, they're like, it's an interview. It's an interview for me. I'm constantly on a podcast and they could see it as a distraction. But, you know, I, I know what I bring to the table. Um, luckily, yeah. I have a coach who's mature, who is a player. Um, Ufuk knows, you know, that I'm going to do my job always and, I think he likes that I talk about basketball. He's never said anything about it. So, you know, <laughs> so I know he doesn't Ooh, care. <laughs> I mean, I may have my own personal interest in this matter, uh, but I couldn't be happier uh, to have such a brilliant basketball mind with huge European experience, providing invaluable insights on our podcast like I have Eric right now. Because I really believe that why I think it's important and it's a blessing to have active players talking about basketball and especially yearly basketball. I think that Eric's presence, for instance, uh, has really can contributed a lot to an increase of in basketball knowledge among our viewers, uh, among our listeners, among the basketball community. It's not just the fans, it's also about the players. And Eric is drop, dropping some food for thought for everybody, GMs, you know, how to deal with the players, for the players, how to deal in some situations because they hear something, you know, which is coming from, from his experience and it might help them going forward, moving forward in their careers. And I mean, in my eyes, I, f I feel that Eric often, let's say, articulates what many players are thinking uh, when it comes to topics that hold great importance for, for players and their interests. And it's also important because I don't feel that we had a good platform for that, you know, to have a, a platform where the player's voice would be heard and he would have this platform to express his ideas and views on, on the situation here in Europe. And we all know that we face a lot of, you know, challenges uh, out there and we're far from having a perfect basketball environment. And, you know, the content Eric brings is not only entertaining, but also a very high quality, sparking basketball discussions about, among ba both basketball fans and basketball people. So in doing so, combining all these things at the end, it just plays a crucial role in promoting our beloved game of basketball, which is my opinion is really highly under promoted in Europe. So I understand why Ataman, Ataman might not feel very good about it, but 
it's it's just it's just good for basketball promotion. I don't see any problem with people being open minded. Well, I mean, I mean. I mean, Eric, Eric have been playing the game for a long, long time. And for us, when I was in Koshaka last year, he was the ultimate bet, you know. He would tell us everything about from how to talk to the GM, how to talk to the coach, how to talk to the referees in the games, all this type of stuff, you know. And, and it's a long season. And, and I'm pretty sure a lot of young guys that are coming to Europe and uh, even me that I've been in Europe for four years, I can text Eric anytime and he will give me a great answer or give me points of view, like what he thinks, what he thinks another coach is going to think. And, and having somebody like that, and this is for all the, the, the young players that are listening to this that are starting in Europe. If you DM Eric and, and Instagram, he will give you an answer. He will try to help you because that's what he does. He tries to help as much as he can. He wants everybody to succeed and, and show us last year he was a great leader for us. He was somebody that always was there for you, even if you had a bad game and you had a good game. Like, Everything that Eric tells you is, is something that he's been through already. And, and like I say, it's a long season. Europe, you'll be here for 10 months, 70 games. You go ups and downs, it's going to be there. Was, was, last year, I had a lot of up and downs because I had a lot of stuff going on with my family, other stuff going on with the coaches, and other stuff going on. Personal stuff that affect my, my way of playing, but at the, at the same time, I have a really good group of guys, and, and Eric. We used to go to restaurants and sit down and have conversations with, with, with him about my future, about what's going on, about what's going on with the coach, what's going on with everything. So having somebody like that in your team and having somebody that giving knowledge in the podcast like this, uh, I know a lot of people in here watch. So I was one of those persons that I always sit down and, and watch and about, about what you guys have to say. So I know if you DM Eric, if you're in Europe, if you're having some problems, you want to talk to somebody, I know this this DNA and nowadays nobody want to speak out and talk to somebody because they think like that's weird. But Eric been there. A lot of people been there. Just what makes you is just being able to talk to people and ask questions that will help you go through the journey. People that already been there, people know how to go through those situations and you have a better career. So having Eric and my team that he was amazing, he was unbelievable, he was great. And I know if I call him and I text him, hey, e, this is happening, he's going to be like, hey, call me and, and we'll talk about it. I you, brother. So it's, it's always a pleasure playing with you, too. Learned a lot from you, too. Yeah. So, guys, let's talk about your league. Panathinaikos against Olympiakos, the most anticipated opening game of the new EuroLeague season that lived up uh, to the hype. Full crowd in the legendary Oaka. Overtime, Kostas Lukas playing a great game, having an opportunity to to, to beat uh, his former team with a game winner, buzzer beater, and Olympiakos at the end winning it all. I have a question uh, for you guys. Do you think this game is a sign that Olympiakos will face whole different competition in Athens this year? And should they be worried about their dominance and status in, status in Greece? I think um, Panathinaikos showed that they they believe. Um, something as simple as having that gym full, that energy, electric. It looked like the old days, you know, the energy that they brung, how the crowd was behind the team, how they supported them. Um, obviously, there's some disappointment in the loss, but, you know, Ergen has those guys fighting, um, have them believe him, um, have guys playing at a higher level. I think, um, you know, this is the first time we've seen Salukas in the main, like, factor as a scorer, a creator, like he's the guy. Um, he's playing that role. He's always been a good player, but I don't think there's many teams where he's been like number one option. And, you know, he performed well, you know, hit clutch shots, played well. I've seen him even settle things 
where Vadoza's struggling throughout the game. And at halftime, I see Saluka's arm around him, walking with him, talking to him in his ear. Like, that's leadership. He's really embraced it all. Um, and you can tell he's the face of the team. Those little things show me that there's hope there. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Vadoza's a good player. He's going to have better nights. Um, it was good to see Gregonis, um, you know, returning to a higher level playing good. He had some struggles last year. It seemed like he couldn't really find his footing. But, you know, Ottoman has an open system where, you know, if you're a guard who can play pick and roll, who can score, you're going to thrive. And, you know, it's good to see that. Um, I think the potential's there. I'd like to see Herman Gomez be a little bit more aggressive with his shot. Um, I think they're going to need a third score there. Um, you know, you have Salukas. It looks like it's going to be Gregonis as number two. They're going to need a consistent third score. Um, if they get that, they'll be fine. I'd like to see Grant be a little bit more aggressive. I think he's a player that can really make some things happen and can alleviate the pressure off of Salukas. Um, but, you know, definitely, you know, the pieces are there, the athleticism, the size, you know, things are put in motion. And let's not take for granted they played against uh, the the runner-up, you know, the yearly. This is a team that's poised, that brought back the entire core, minus Vazinko, who's a big piece. But they added two guys who, if you combine them, they can do similar things. Um, and Peter showed that. You know, we talked about that this summer in the podcast, that you don't replace Vazinko. He's a great player. But you go get a Sigma who can pass it better, who can provide some of that rebounding and cutting, and then you add a Peters on an uh, extension who can give you that shooting, you know. So, you know, that that's a, a team that has every, all the pieces. And who knew? Thomas Walkup, you know, I knew he was a defender. You know, we talked about it. They asked our opinion uh, probably about a month ago, a month and a half ago. I said that they shouldn't add any player, that I would run with the exact roster I have, no Kendrick Nunn, no other electric score, play with, with the guys you have, and let's see what we got. I think I thought it would be Nigel uh, Williams-Goss and, Isaiah Cannon picking up the score, which they did. Two great guys. But Thomas Walker, 5 of 10 from 3. Not just a defender. I've played defense. I score. I create. I rebound. If it, if he can be a double-figure scorer for them, I can sleep peacefully knowing that Olympiacos is going to be right where they belong at the end of the year because Nigel Williams-Goss will score. Isaiah Cannon will score. It's good to see him getting more minutes, being more involved in the offense. I feel like he should have got that run at the end of the game against Real Madrid, but that's for another day. Um, but that's just a really good team. And, you know, for Panathinaikos to have a whole new roster and you come together and you're playing against an experienced, uh, veteran led chemistry, great coach team. Everything's already in place to compete like that was impressive. So Panathinaikos have hope. Be patient. It takes time. You know, they're not going to turn the corner immediately, but this is a team that will be in a mix for a playoff position. Yeah, I think I think the same thing like Eric said. I mean, Panathinaikos, they've been playing together for only two months. And, and you put in the box all these high IQ basketball players, one of the the, the greatest coach in Europe right now, Alaman, they're going to be good. I mean, it, it takes time to build a team like this and for them to play together. But if Piaco's been playing together for two or three years, it's, it's, it shows that they know what each individual likes and they add it. And Nigel and, and Sigma, all these players that are high basketball players. So it's, it's going to be a fun, fun, fun derby in, in Greece. Yeah. Really fun. I mean, I think it was a game with no losers, to be honest, because Olympiacos showed their character. They were down for a long stretch before the fourth quarter. Uh, they were missing key players, key players inside the paint in Mustafa Fall. And I think that that resulted into having 
a lot of prog- problems protecting the boards, and especially in the first half. And then they just put Nikola Miltinov to play the entire second half, including the extra time. Uh, and of course, Ignaz Brezdekis hasn't played a single game for Olympiakos yet, but he's anticipated to play an important role. So they were missing two important players. They still have to adjust to uh, to play with the teammates and to play without the MVP of the last season and their best scorer, the guy who was deciding all games. So they have to find new guys who, who will replace those uh, key players. So a lot of adjustments for Olympiakos. And in this tough environment, they managed you know, to... To, to be united and to win this very tough game on, against a very good group of Panathinaikos, who, first of all, they also showed the character by bouncing back after the Greek Super Cup loss. They lost uh, the Greek Super Cup by 24 points. They were really horrible in offense, scoring like 11 or 13 points in the first half of that game. I mean, it was a very big hit for the whole Panathinaikos team having the, those hopes for the upcoming season. So, they really showed uh, character. Uh, they showed that uh, they're not going to um, lose their fighting spirit. Uh, they're not going to lose their minds. And they can fight even this great Olympiacos team that was the arguably the best team of the EuroLeague uh, last season. And they really pushed them to the ropes. So a lot of great individual performances on Panathinaikos uh, side that you mentioned. Uh, of course, Kostas Lukas, uh, he had his word. Uh, he showed up, especially in the first half. But Eric mentioned Marius Grigonis, and I just want to extend on his case because he was the guy, he is the only foreigner from the last year's team, which finished 17th. And at some point of the offseason, I mean, he has a contract, he had a contract for this year as well. And it was a guaranteed contract. But at some point of the off season, he was told to find a new team. And something has happened, maybe not in Panaiko's way or the way they wanted, and they decided to, to try him. The guy went to the training camp, the guy went to the to Athens like weeks before the training camp started in Athens, showing his determination to adjust, to adapt, to change. And, and to fit Ataman's game. And now we're watching this amazing game against Olympiagos. I mean, uh, what I loved in Grigona's game before as a Lithuanian, that he was always more or less all-around player. He was good in offense, but at the same time, he was really trying in defense in his old days. And what I saw against Olympiagos, I, I think that when he became an, a good scorer in EuroLeague, especially in, in this year with Jalgris, I think that he kind of understood that it's not necessary to give your all in defense because they're going to pay me in Moscow for what I do in offense. And it became his habit. But what I saw against Olympiakos from the opening, uh, from the tip-off, it was the best defense since, I don't know, since he played in the second Spanish division, really. He, it felt like it, he, it was the game for his contract. I mean, if he does well, he, he will get an extension. It was like a 10-day contract game. So I was really brow, uh, proud to see him, but he was just one of the many individuals that were, you know, showed up in this game. So... What could you, could you also mention as those standout players that you saw in, in, in this game? Yeah, for me, um, Grigonis was that guy. You know, I liked what I saw from him. He was aggressive. Um, so Lucas was great. You know, too many turnovers, seven. But, you know, it's expected when you're taking a a big uh, workload and, you know, you're getting a defensive player that Thomas Walkup's caliber on you. You know, it's not easy to protect the ball. Um Lasort was good, you know, double-double brought energy, you know, you know what you're going to get from him, you're going to get effort, you're going to get energy, you're going to get fight, you're going to get desire, you know, he had 10 and 10, um, 
And those are some guys that I think, you know, really perform well. I think uh, Vadoza is going to have to, you know, provide a little scoring punch or, you know, Ottoman's going to have to go to Kyle Guy more. But they need that third punch. I feel like so much pressure was on Salukas to create things that it wasn't coming from anywhere else, you know. And Gregonis was very good at finding his shots and himself in situations. But Salukas can't be the only guy creating easy opportunities. And I think Grant is a guy that's more than capable and, you know, can provide that, you know, um, I don't know, on the Bianco side, you know, I think uh, Cannon was excellent. Thomas Walker, Militinoff. I mean, like when you just watch five or six guys in double figures, um, it's spread around so many guys doing it. And it's, it's hard to combat that. You know, Nigel William Goss came in and just really sealed the game um, in overtime. And, you know, he's a guy who's capable of that. You know, we see his clutchness, um, you know, in the playoff series with Madrid, some of the big shots he hit um, last year, you know, on the way to that final. Um, just seeing that, Alec Peters, I mean, you know, the list just goes on. I think that's the difference in the game. You know, Olympiacos had like six guys and they just took their turn. My turn. All right, now it's your turn. All right, now it's your turn. Where throughout the night for Panathinaikos, there's really only two guys. Um, and, you know, one of those guys is 34 years old. Uh, and it's not easy to do that over the course of a Euroleague season. Okay, you can do that on some nights, but if you have to carry the workload every night, um, for 30 plus games and then do it in the Greek lead and you know it takes its toll so you know if one more guy can step up lower that usage rate a little bit it will keep Lucas strong throughout the course of the season and in the fourth quarters of those overtimes of those games but he was excellent you know he he played um you know as that guy and you know they can be pleased with the contract um in, in the first game wow did I hear a 35 year old guy going at another 34 year old guy oh he was great was that no. correct no, I'm saying he was great. Um, he was excellent. But in order to have that longevity, um, it helps. Like, for instance, when Brian came to the team, it was such a relief to have another guy who could bring the ball up to court, who could run the pick and roll. Sometimes I can go to the corner. I can relax. I could take a play of rest by still staying on the court. Like, it just makes the game easier. Sometimes he might create me a spot up three. You know, it's it's exhausting when you're getting hedged or doubled or trapped or denied and bumped and hit and you're running to cut to get the ball. Then you finally get the ball. Then you have to beat two guys and create for someone constantly. It, it wears and tears on you. And, you know, you don't feel it until later in the game when your shot's a little short. Uh, when you miss a free throw, you normally make. When you get a catch and shoot opportunity, you don't go. When you don't close out as long. So, like, I'm just thinking long term. He could do it now easy in early season. But over the course, you know, come May, April. March, you know, you're going to want that extra help, that extra push. And I think guys like Grant Vadoza are more than capable of providing that firepower. And even a Kyle guy, you know, we see him have some explosive games last year at um, Hoven 2 um, in the Euro Cup. Yeah, I think that it will start from Luca Vadoza. He didn't have his, let's say, best debut in uh, Euroleague, Olympiacos, and Panaikos derbies, five points, three turnovers. That's not the help that Costas Lucas need. And the second option will come from the markets, I guess, because I heard that Panaikos uh, on the market for a new player. It should be a, an important player, at least offensively, to to help to get some load from from Costas Lucas. So Already? probably they're gonna figure Sheesh. it out. Yeah, that was fast. I mean, for me, I think I think for the Olympiacos side, I think Nigel, uh, I know I'm a little biased because it's my guy, but Nigel came in the, the great minutes. I mean, I know they have uh, Walker, great point guard, but they're having Nigel come in and help him. And now he's focusing a little bit more on defense and then 
coming and hitting five threes is, is something that that shows that he worked on the shot the whole summer. And, and, and Adam Milutinov, I think Olympiacos got, got a little, I know they lost Lusenkov and Lucas, but bringing these three players to Libra, is, they look very, very good. They look, they look good. So it's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun EuroLeague. I feel like it's a lot, a lot of teams out there that, that got really good in the summer. And now it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a different I'm, year. For I'm everyone. super happy for Alec Peters. Because, uh, you know, there was this big question, who is going to replace uh, Sasha Vizenkov? And I remember I was reading some Greek uh, media articles last year, and the media guys, media members were complaining a lot about Alec Peters not showing up in big games. It's really hard to get a bigger game than that in October when facing Pantnaikos uh, at the debut night of the EuroLeague season. And he scored 17 points. I think that it was his career high in Olympiacos in the EuroLeague uh, since uh, 2021. Uh, he also played probably the highest number of minutes that, that he wore Olympiacos jersey. Yes, 37. So he had to beat his... Uh, career high in Olympiacos as well. And he was really good at shooting the basket, being very aggressive from the from the beginning. And I'm, I I didn't miss Sasha Vizenkov that night, really. Alec Peters did a lot of job, you know, to show that he he might be ready. At least it was a state statement game for him. So it's that's imp important contribution for, for Olympiacos. And you know what's crazy? Alec Peters always been a pure shooter, like just beautiful stroke on the jump shot. Um, laces, everything. Like whenever he shoots, you're like surprised if he's open, if he misses. But what surprised me was the ten rebounds, the four assists, sure. and the four steals. Like he's showing that. Okay, I know who left here. I know the shoes were big; they were heavy. But I'm gonna put him on the best I can. And last night he looked like Cinderella. You know, he fit the shoe really well, and he did everything. You know, like Sasha would do and. You know, I'm sure he picked up some things along the way, but it's a difference when you know you you're the main foreman. Um, I think it's unfair for some of those media members to say that he didn't show up in big games. Well, where was he going to really show up? Sasha played 32, 33 minutes a game, so you're talking about a guy. Maybe he's getting 12 minutes. How can you find a rhythm? How can you get in a flow, especially as a shooter, as a guy who relies on three point shots? Now I think with him getting a bigger role. Obviously, he won't play as many minutes as tonight because of the overtime game. Um, but I think um, you'll see him in that 25-plus minute range, and depending on how he performs. I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, Maybe Sigma's in that 15-18, and he's in that 22-25 to 25 minute, and that's enough time to find a rhythm to get a lather and to find opportunities. Yeah, and just, just one more note from uh, Pantanaikos' side. Uh, Eric mentioned that he lacked of uh, he lacked a little bit more uh, aggressiveness in Juancho Hernan Gomez game, but at the same time, I was so impressed by his hustle plays. Really, that was a remarkable uh, outing from him, especially in the first half. I I counted that he had three offensive rebounds that resulted in nine second chance points uh, for Panathinaikos, and these offensive rebounds were really hard, and he was you know. He, he was stealing the ball. I think he made two steals, one block. He was always trying to, you know, he was always trying to make life harder for Olympiacos. And they were really very aware that they cannot be, you know, they cannot throw some lazy passes or something because Juancho is always looking to steal that ball. A lot of deflections, a lot of situations where he, he started the transition for Pat Michael. So I believe that, I mean, 
at this point of the season or during the season with some additions, Panathinaikos will be stacked with talent. And to have such important players like hustle players like Juancho Hernan Gomez, who is not demanding the ball or he doesn't need to have the ball in his hands to be efficient at elite level is super important. And Panathinaikos find a really interesting name uh, in the EuroLeague. I feel like, like Panathinaikos have, have a, a really, really full heads of guys that some of them have to sacrifice sometimes and find a way to, to be effective. And one show, one show deal as a, you have at the big man, Azor, really great energy guy, guy that can give you 20 and 10 any given night. And then you got players like Lucas, Grant, Mendoza, experienced players that can help you. I think they're going to be, they're going to be really good. They're going to be up there in the yeah. Enough of uh, Greek derbies, probably. The the, ne the next big derby that we're going to have will be at the end of the October. Uh, Partizan against Servena Zvezda. Uh, Partizan will be the home team, I guess. It will be October 26th or something. So we will definitely cover that game. But two Turkish teams also had big games in the opening round of the EuroLeague. And uh, one of them will play Karşiaka on Monday, Fenerbahce. They started the season with a narrow victory against Milan. And we talked a little bit with Brian uh, before the podcast, and he, he said that he watched the ending of the game. So what would be your tip to Eric and your ex-teammates, ex friends in Karşiaka, how to beat that Fenerbahce team that started off with the win against Milan? Uh, I mean... I think I think Ufo do a really good job of preparing preparing the guys over there for 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 those type of games, and it's it's hard because when you play against uh, Fenerbahce, they're a great team. They have one of the best coaches in in Europe. But when you come to Kashyaka, playing in that in that arena is is really hard. And Kashyaka have 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 shown that every year they have a really good team and having Eddie, having Hilder, having. Uh, Guys that have been in Euroleague, guys that have played this type of games before, and then having a coach like Ufu that is a great, great, great basketball coach. I mean, you just got to be there to see when you prepare for this type of games, they're going to be ready. And I don't think I got to give them any, any tips. They just, they know what to do. Uh, you just got to contain as much as they can in the inside. And they'll be all right. They'll be all right. I mean, Eric knows. Eric is, is prepared. He likes to play this type of games, you know. He's... This is why they, they, they give me his money so many years. It's for this type of game. So they will be ready. I'll be watching it. Don't Sounds worry. good. I'll we got watching. a tough test. They look really good. A lot of size. Good rebounding. Good interior. They play two bigs together a lot of times. Mali and Sertac. You know, that they can stretch the floor. And then Papa Giannis showing he can stretch the floor too. Uh, you know, I've seen in the Turkish League hitting some threes. Three for three in the yearly. So, you know, that makes it tough. A lot of times when the bigs are, um, you know, seven foot and six ten ish uh, usually there's no spacing but the way these big guys can shoot the ball like they can beat you up on the glass they can um hurt you by spacing the court you know it's gonna be it's gonna be really tough um you know Tudis is an excellent coach he always has a good game plan you know i think we just got to be physical match the energy and, and try to find a way to keep that rebound advantage close because um if we can't it can be hard for us but if we can show some fight some girt box out you know, I think um, you know, it could be an interesting game. 
it's gonna be interesting who's yeah, the five, that's, fourth, that's and always the hardest. Play. That's the hardest that's, decision that's for the thing. coaches, for the team, because you can play like team. two or three different yes. styles depending on what foreigners they choose. They have like ten foreigners, so like you kind of just have to focus. <laughs> yeah, we gotta just so focus on what we do and you know kind of <laughs> adapt on the fly depending on who they play with our defensive schemes and stuff. Yeah, and now because I don't know what's going on. With the Scotty yeah. situation about the foreigners, it's a game changer so, probably for 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 teams like Karshiak. It's like a it's like a victory to have Scotty and Shane Larkin also uh, treated as foreigners uh, because of their punishment that they got, had for for missing the Turkish national team appearance. Yeah, because this I mean it's essentially playing six foreigners, and then you're talking about teams with the biggest budgets in Turkey. They already have really high quality foreigners already. They have high quality Turkish players. You know, so it's never easy when you're playing them. And then, you know, you get an extra foreigner, it's tough. So, you know, they're still an excellent team. They're still going to be a force. But it does narrow the gap some when you're playing against five foreigners instead of six. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you too much about Fenerbahce because you don't want to, you know, um, motivate them for for Monday's game. Uh, <laughs> oh, just, they, just from... they, they good. We need We need all the help we can get, trust me. <laughs> They they look good. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, they they look good, and, and Kashyak is motivated. I think Eric, Eric is motivated. They're gonna get these guys motivated too for these type of games. I mean, they, that's a, a job entry for many of the guys that are there. You know, it's, it's it's a lot of guys that are trying to find and look for a, a bigger job. Even though Kashyak is a it's a big team in Tokyo and, and Europe, but playing these games. The powerhouse of, of Euroleague is always motivation. Like for me, when I was in Karshaka playing them type of teams, playing them, playing FS, playing Gala, it was a little extra motivation out there. So, just one individual I wanted to to talk about more. Did you try to get into Nikolatis shoes? And how would you act in that situation? Because the entire summer, you've, you would have been hearing rumors that you're kind of out. Then I think that somebody from Fenerbahce officially stated that they were looking to move Nikolatis. But the whole situation, you know, uh, at the end of the day, he's still with the team. He's he's playing in the EuroLeague. Not sure if he's going to play in the Turkish League, but he's still there. Can it be a distraction for a player, for the entire team, for the coaching staff, for everybody inside the organization? Or it's just, you know, the way business goes and you still have to be the best, you know, sh best, best version of, of yourself uh, on a daily basis. You know, it's extremely tough uh, to be professional in a situation when a team isn't, you know, maybe showing you that same courtesy, you know, because I could just think if the shoe was on the foot, imagine a player saying, I don't want to play here. I'm going to leave. I need to find another team. I can't imagine how that would go over with GMs or with um, teammates or with the fan base. Like, everybody would feel disrespected. So, like, as a player, you're forced to chalk that up and swallow your pride and they hear and read articles about how a team is trying to discard you. Like, it's one thing for me. If you want to get rid of me, that's fine. But I would, like, respect it if you, like, kept it in-house. Maybe you shot me to different teams whatever the case may be. But I understand how Nick feels just because, you know, he's a year younger than me. Uh, you're coming out, you have a two-year guaranteed deal. Um, I signed this contract. Nick is a guy who's one of the best point guards um, to play in the year elite um, in a while. You know, he's a guy that can create, that can defend, that can see all the passes. So, like, it's almost like a disrespectful to him, you know, in his career, like the player he is. Because you could easily keep that private. And you could still be trying to get rid of him, still shopping it. But I think... 
you know, there's this a certain professionalism that you should keep the to keep the team intact, also to keep the player's head right because who knows, maybe things fall through and then he's back on the team and he has to play. And you know, I think he's handled it as an ultimate professional. You know, he's out there fighting, he's playing hard. He only played eight minutes against Milan, but he was out there defending, creating, passing to his team, still doing what he does. And you know, for a lot of teams when they want to get rid of a player, if a guy has a guaranteed contract, it's um impossible to ask a guy to leave a large salary um, just because like, can you take less money? No, like, no, I'm not. I'm happy here. I assume he likes Istanbul. You know, I had a two year contract too. If Karshiaka would ask me that I would have said no. And if you don't want me, that's fine. I'll be here. I'm on the date <laughs> and I'll sit and I'll watch the team. Um, <laughs> and so it's different when you're younger, maybe you're, you're not going to do that. But when you're 34 or 35 years old, you're like, all right, that's fine. If you don't want me, uh, I love to play. I want to play. I want to be here. But it's going to be hard for him to find a contract that late in the summer, you know, close to that amount of money. And a place, think about it, he has kids. He has a wife. Maybe they have a school that they're already going to. They have a routine. Everything's set up. He already has an apartment. You play the lease early. The, all these factors that people don't think about. And like, no, I'm not going nowhere. So, you know, I'm glad that Finner and Nick was able to move forward. And I'm glad that they were able to you know, maybe find a common ground and, you know, now he's back out there playing. So, you know, I wish him the best. He's a really good guy. Uh, I respect his game, really good player. And, you know, I hope they can continue to, to work together and have success. And I hope teams continue to honor two-year contracts because this is outrageous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, I, the situation is he's, he's a very competitive player, so. One of the best point guards in the league, like Eric said, and the way he he played when he was used to for his minutes, he was he was unbelievable. And he shows that he's a very professional guy. Maybe the scheme of the teams don't let him play much, but you know he was doing what he's supposed to do, and and that's admirable for for somebody that. that, that. What were your impressions uh, about the new look Milan with uh, Nikola Mirotic on the lineup, who had a really good game, twenty seven points? I think 38 or something before a player performance index rating. So it was a huge game by him. I mean, for Mirotic, I mean, he's probably the best four man in, in the league. I mean, you can put it in anything. He's going to be very, very efficient with his touches. He, he's a player that, that, that makes sure everybody knows he's in the game, his presence, his shooting ability. His ability to find the mismatches and, and be effective is, is unbelievable. You know, and coming to a new team where where he was able to to fit right in is is, is really impressive. Yeah, Miritich is just a guy that I think you could plug him anywhere in Europe. He's gonna find a way to get a bucket. Uh, he's gonna rebound. What I was impressed with for Miritich, he's always been an elite scorer, leading the post, um, phenomenal shooter. Offensively, there's been nothing. I was impressed with his defense, you know, a couple blocks, rotations. I seen him pressing the ball full court, turning, sitting in the stands. I was like, okay. Like, you could tell that, you know, he really wants it. He continued to wants to have that success and wants to maintain his status as uh, the best foreman in Europe. But, you know, I I was impressed just with some of the, some of the things he did, you know, on the other side of the ball. As for the rest of the players in my line, Voigtman played really well. Uh, I don't know if there was a little motivation playing against the Tudis. You know, they had that history at Cheska. You know, you always want to kind of perform well against your old coach, you know, and 
you know, he just did things inside out. I love their two-man game. Voigtman and um, Miritich had really good chemistry. Um, you're talking about two seven-footers who can just shoot the ball, who could post up, who finished high, and they both were on a glass rebounding well. Uh, if they could continue to do that, um, they're going to have some success. Um, it's not an easy place to play in Finner against such a strong team who basically returned the same roster. You know, my problem with my line is, you know, the guard play, you know, they need some consistency. Um, these were issues that plagued them last year. Um, are you going to get a, a guy who's going to give you consistent production, not only scoring, but in creation? You know, making decisions, finding a mismatch, putting people in the right spot. You know, um, obviously Shields had a rough night shooting, um, but he's a guy that I can depend on if I'm a coach. And, you know, I think he's a maybe the focal point, you know, at the guard spots. Why Miritich is that focal point on the inside and the perimeter. But they need one more guy to step up from that guard rotation. And I think when Billy Barron comes back, you know, you'll see uh, more scoring part spark there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think Hall, when Hall come back too, I he's think a good we'll player a lot too because he's he's a guy that can put pressure pressure on the defense uh, offensively and can help uh, help and defense too. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting. It's like I said before, it's gonna be a lot of really good teams in Europe. I feel like every team was built for for different differences. I'm gonna need Kevin Pangos to be Zalgiris, Kevin Pangos, Zenit. Kevin Pangos, we've seen it. He has the talent. You know, he played in those years as an all year league type of player. Uh, you know, that's what got him to Barcelona. But since then, he hasn't been able to find his footing. And we need him to get back to that level if we want to see Milan kind of reach the top. I think he's a really good player. Uh, I think he can shoot. I think he can play pick and roll. You know, I've seen him, you know, under Saris, you know, in those Aguirre's days, really kind of commanding that team, pushing him to a Final Four. I've seen him under Javi Pascal's system um, at Zenit, you know, really – Powering them to the playoffs, making Zenit, you know, longer a dark horse, but a team to be reckoned with. So, you know, I'm not saying he's going to probably have the ball that much just because you got Shields, you got Miritich, but he needs to show some flashes of that type of player. And if he can, you know, this is a team that could be really good with that size. They're going to beat people up on the glass, on the rebound. It's going to be bad if they can get some consistency at that guard play. Yeah. And first of all, I just want them to stay healthy. I mean, if they're healthy, they're Final Four material. And yes. there were a lot of hopes before the season. And just before the opener of the season, we see Billy Barron out for six weeks, Maodolo out for four weeks, Devon Hall suddenly misses the game as well. And suddenly Stefano Tonuto has to step up in, in big minutes, you know, to cover that hole that they had in the backcourt. And Kevin Pangos is having a bad game. So it just it's just really tough uh, to be a winning team facing so many uh, injuries. Uh, and I mean, I was impressed about Milan's lineup uh, in the decisive minutes of the game. They threw the lineup with Johannes Voigtman, who is uh, two meters and eleven centimeters. Nicola Melli two and five. Nicola Mirotic two and eight. Shawan Shields two and one. And Kevin Pangos. Okay, he's he's undersized, but still having these four guys on this lineup. I, I'm not a fan of big lineups. I'm not a big fan of Nikola Mirotic, that, but they caused problems to Fenerbahce. And I think that it was a very important reason why they actually managed to send the game to overtime. In the overtime, they kind of lacked of 
better scoring, uh, better scorers, uh, to create opportunities uh, for, for, for their players, but they are, were crashing boards, uh, getting extra opportunities to score. And as Eric mentioned, with Nikola Mirotic giving so much effort in defense, they didn't look bad on the switch against Wilbekin or Tyler Dorsey. So I was impressed the, the way it worked and it might be an important, you know, weapon go, going forward into the season. Yeah, gonna be fun to watch. They could be a really good team when they're healthy. They get things going. I think they're um, somebody who's going to take a big leap come January. This year. You're going to see them really turn that corner. Maybe even before that, if they can get those guys back sooner. And yeah, and, and Fenerbahce. I mean, if they won't step up their end game, they're gonna have problems against Karciaka. Come on, I mean, will. <laughs> Wilbekin had a blackout in the end of regulation, trying to hunt the foul with second seconds, uh, seven seconds left, and the 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 score was tied, I think, and you know referee didn't uh, whistle that foul, and Milan was in a great situation to to close the game, and the, in the overtime they were up by three and they couldn't make a foul, and Nikola Mirotic, by his standards, he had a nice look, you know, to send the game to ex uh, another overtime, so. They definitely have to step up with their end game, but there's another Turkish team that I wanted to ask you, Eric, in particular. Uh, I didn't watch that game. Brian also didn't watch that game against Barca. Uh, but the thing is that um, before the season, there were many doubters about Barcelona, me included, and they won in a quite solid way against FS at home. Do you think people might be sleeping on Barca? or there was something not clicking for FS that night? I admit, I was asleep at the wheel. Barcelona looked really good. I mean, they always had that size, right? They had some athleticism, but they were playing free, um, relaxed, uh, at a dip different tempo than we've seen. You know, we're used to them the last few years being in that half-court offense, you know, running those sets. They were playing like the Spanish way, up and down, moving the ball, Side to side, it looked like those guys weren't looking over their shoulder. They looked relieved. Um, and, you know, you got a great performance from Jan Vesley. Uh, looked like Jan Vesley from Finner, you know, showing that little burst, athleticism on the glass, you know, just doing those things he does. Four offensive rebounds, um, 16 points, 8 of 11 from the field. You know, he's a guy that, you know, shows he can control the game in the paint defensively and offensively. He's really good on the switches. Um, I think um, another underrated signing for them that probably goes, you know, you know, under the radar and where people didn't really mention it was the energy that Bruzella brought. Um, you know, he was on the court making some great passes, giving them a different type of spark, a different energy. Sometimes when you sign a young guy who's new to the yearly, you know, their excitement, their energy, their effort, you know, it can be contagious. You know, I like what he brought to the court. Um, and then Willie Herman Gronis is just an animal. I mean, I already knew what it was. I mean, he played for the Pelicans. Um, I watched him many times. Um, as I watch my brother play, and you know, I love what he brings. You know, he can shoot the basketball. He's great in a short role. He has patience, poise, strength on the block. I mean, he's just an animal. And, you know, he's a guy that you can run your offense through and be very successful. So the more touches he get, the better they look. I mean, he was dominant. 18 points, 7-8. You know, and the one shot he missed, it was like that could have went in too. Like, it was just, it was unforced. It was effortless. You know, he just kind of did it all. And then. Labriola was always good too. Um, you know, just his energy coming off the pick and roll, making those passes. Um, 
the way he can shoot the ball, the three. He's always a threat. He's always in attack mode, probing. You know, I liked what he did too. Eight assists, you know, five boards, you know, 13 points. Just, you know, he's kind of that guy that makes things go. He's their engine. And I think when he's unleashed and he's playing an up-tempo offense, you're going to see him play even better, you know, because that's, that's where he thrives. That's where he can be even more successful. You know, not saying that he can't play in a half court, but he's better when you let him free, when you take those handcuffs off. And I think that's what you're going to see him continue to, to grow. And then another pleasant surprise was Jabari Parker. He was kind of quiet, you know, throughout the course of the game. You know, but where you see him at is his defense on Will Clyburn. Um, a lot of guys uh, struggle with Will because he's fast. He's quick for those taller guys at the four position. You know, they're not quick enough to guard him. And then if you put him a three on him, they're a little bit too small. They don't have that height. You don't have the strength to guard him. Well, with Jabari, he was a guy that was able to stay in front of him and kind of make things tough. You know, granted, Will had an off night, but, you know, he played really good defense on him. And in the fourth quarter, he came alive, you know, finding ways to be successful without the ball. That shows me his adaption to Europe. A lot of guys come from the league. They need the ball. You could see him being in the dunker spot, rotating from the left to right, now cutting after the short row, doing different things to find the ball. And that shows me that's a guy who's bought in. That's a guy who just wants to win, who's doing certain things. And now when you're able to cut and move without the ball, once you get the ball, once he gets his isos, once he gets those type of touches, the game's going to flow for him easier because he's able to score in a multitude of ways. So I was just really impressed with what they bought, um, how they played, how they moved the ball, and how quickly they connected with the new coach, a new system, a new offense. Uh, you know, they're a team that you know really surprised me. There was two teams that surprised the hell out of me, and because I knew Barcelona was good, but I didn't think they'd be this good this early with so many changes. But they they surprised me, and, and Red Star, man, I watched that Red Star game too. Whew, those boys look good. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, they did. I mean, and for Barcelona, I mean, the end of the day is Barcelona. This is one of the best things in Europe. And having Willie coming in, the presence that he brought into the game, 16 minutes, 18 points, is unbelievable. He's a guy that always is going to be have a huge, huge presence in the paint. And a guy that you got to send a double team or you, he's going to be score. He's going to score every time you're going to send somebody to help big mess because he's not a lot of big mess out there that can uh, defend him. And then having La Provitola, like Eric said, being able to run the team, making decisions, playing the uh, freedom that he, he was playing, it was, it, was, it was good to see that type of basketball. And then Yavari Parker, when he did adjust to the game over here, I mean, the guy was the number two pick in the draft and he was an unbelievable player. Now that he, he comes to Europe, it's going to take him a little time, but when he's ready, he's going to be mm-hmm. really, really proud of everybody. Because he can play the four, he played three. He can shoot the ball really well. So we will see. It's going to be interesting to watch them. They have a really, really big chance to to go to the final four again. Yeah, you just mentioned Red Star. You, you had a short glimpse of that game as well. What would be your, you know, general in general, what would be your round one standouts that impressed you the most? And of course, starting from, from, from Red Star. Hell of the game and... Just one more time, I was happy to see Shabazz Napier, you know, delivering at that level. For me, that's the player that Milan missed so much in that game against Fenerbahce. You know, if if they kept him, they would have been a different team. So, and for the Red Star, for the, you know, profile and for, for the stat, like, for the status team like Red Star, it's just a blessing to have Shabazz Napier on their roster. I mean, he can take them to places, really, with his skill, with his scoring abilities. I mean, 
having having that that guard play that Rester has with uh, Jago coming a young kid that have a lot of energy, and having a veteran with Teodosius, and then having Napier, and then having the Manya Nedovic up there is is unbelievable. They hit eighteen, I think eighteen threes, was 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 a clash of, of shooting. And then when you have those type of players over there, it's, it's going to be fun. I think I think it's going to be a, a team that's going to be surprising a lot of a lot of teams out there. So and playing in that environment too. You can see this is it's kinda it's kinda fun yeah, to be out there. For you know? me, two words, Shabazz Napier, my goodness. Um I think it's tough for me because I like Lorenzo Brown a lot, but top two point guards um right now in Europe is Shabazz and um Lorenzo. Um I don't know, pick and choose what you want, but the way he controls the game, his pace, his movements, how he plays pick and roll. He, how he always finds the solution in the isolation and the pick and roll and his mid-range jumper. He can shoot the three, his finishing. He just always looks like he knows what he wants, where he's going to attack, and you can't speed him up. Um, and he defends. He pressures the ball. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, played many years, um, in the NBA and just shows that, you know, his adaptation to Europe was, was seamless. Um, and, you know, I think that Milan experience, you know, allow people to get a glimpse of who he is. You know, I kind of already knew he played in Portland. You know, my brother was there with Dame Lillard. And anytime he got on the court, he made things happen. You know, I was always impressed with him. And just to see him do that, you know, as a main guard with the ball in his hands, you know, I'm not surprised. You know, he's a guy that is going to have a great season, is going to do that all year, and he's going to make them go. And then you put in a guy like Milos, you know, he's, he's a vet. You know, as Brian said, he's a guy that's proven he's been there, he's done that. You know, he makes magic happen. He can pull anything out of the hat. You know, just the way they shoot the ball. Um, uh, I'm sorry to my Lithuanian people. You know, I might mess up the name, but Gidiraitis? Oh, boy. Gidiraitis. Yeah. Oh, the pronunciation was boy. nice. The flamethrower, right. man. Like, he was shooting the ball well. <laughs> he was moving. Like, how they played well off of each other. You know, just so many options. Um, he was excellent. Um, he didn't force anything. He let the game come to him. Found his shots. Rebounded. I think the thing about it is not only do they have so many shooters, so many scoring options, so much control at the pick and roll spot, size on the wings um, with him and um, Hanga, but how they controlled the board. 17 offensive rebounds when you shoot 50% from three. Like, it's not like you're out there missing a lot of shots. Like, if they can continue to control the rebounds and, and kill the glass like that, and shoot the ball like that. Obviously, they're not going to make 17 threes every night. But the shots they were getting, they weren't, they weren't like in crazy or incredible difficult shots. These are shots that it seems like they can get within the flow of their offense with um, Napier creating or finding openings for them. So, you know, I'm glad that, you know, we're able to see such a pure classic basketball game and to see the skill and the talent level, you know, but Red Star is a force. And, you know, I, I'm going to say it now. They're, they're a playoff team. Not a play-in. They'll be in the playoffs. Well, that's that's a bold statement, but I agree with you. The way they play, they just, you know, Asphalt didn't have any chance. Of course, I'm. Uh, I want to see them facing a bigger challenge. Bigger challenge. I want to see them playing away a tough a tough game in a tough away situation. And I still have some, let's say, doubts looking long term if all the guards gonna be happy with the minutes they're gonna get. I mean, I'm not questioning the talent, talent. I'm not questioning the experience and skill. I'm questioning if they're gonna sacrifice their minutes in for for the team's will and for for the final result. But their potential is huge. And and you mentioned guys like Gedraitis. I mean, 
he's a typical Dusko Ivanovic player. He he made his career in Basconia. Play he he gonna play for 30 minutes per game. He gonna run the transition. He gonna shoot the, those crazy trees. He gonna bring energy. He going to try to crash boards and he will bring that energy uh, to facilitate and to help those guards and bigs. Talking about bigs, I was impressed by young man Marko Simonovic. He didn't get a lot of opportunities in Chicago Bulls, but the way he stretched the floor from the tip off i was i was really impressed and it really opened the hands for the entire team uh, the way he played as well and shabazz is, is one of the kind but as soon as you mention your top two point guards i'm like you're in trouble eric you're gonna you're gonna you're going to have a text message from mike james that's for sure some some other point guards might step in uh, texting you or something so you're you're getting yourself in trouble Because you're leaving well, some big names uh, well, behind, me, you know. To, to me, Mike is a combo. You know, I love Mike. You know, I think he excellent score. He can do stuff. But to me, Lorenzo and Shabazz is more like classic point guard. And Mike is a combo for me. But, you know, if you're talking about one of the best players, uh, for sure, Mike's always in that mix. But, bro, just as classic point guards, I got to go Shabazz and Lorenzo Brown for sure. That exclusion is not going to help you. I could tell you that. <laughs> yeah speaking of point guards i have a another okay not another my first let's say lithuanian question keenan evans scored 25 points including some crucial three pointers in a tough uh, away victory against virtus they were down by 15 two, uh, in two occasions and that's the first i think that's the first yearly comeback ever being down by 15 two times in the same game so he scored 25 and let's not forget that he had achilles injury nine months ago and that's his first yearly game after that uh, injury so is it is it like normal to get back to return after those kind of injuries and to play at that level and just in general what do you think about his his future in the year league do you see him as the next elite guard what he's still missing maybe to be the Uh, go-to option on an elite Final Four team? I mean, it's, it's impressive to see somebody having that type of injury coming back in your first real tough game in the Italy uh, atmosphere. It's, it's, it's impressive to see him have 25 points. I mean, uh, the chance that he was taking, he looks very comfortable running out in, in the court, running, uh, running the team. And like before he got injured, he was showing that he was one of the elite guards. He was going up and and and, and the rankings of the point guards, the top point guards like Eric said. And, and to have him back and, and watching, I mean, for me, I'm not playing in Italy league not yet. But watching, I like to watch basketball. I love watching basketball. And, and you see a story like this, somebody that nine months ago was out for so long and coming back and doing this, it, it shows that He was patient with his, his rehab and his recovery process. And he was always in the gym after he was recovering. And, and, and I just my praise for him that, that he's back and, and we can watch some good basketball players. Yeah, just seeing that performance, it just shows how professional he is, how he takes care of his body. You know, definitely happy to see that. You know, anytime a guy goes through a major injury, you never know how they're going to return. But he's a guy who's skilled. And guys who have good skills, who can shoot, who can dribble, who can play pick and roll, who can do different things. I worry less about them when they have, let's say, knee or Achilles type of injuries. You know, but a guy who relies on athleticism or explosiveness and their burst, you know, those are the type of guys that 
really make me nervous when they get hurt. So it's great to see. But another thing I have to applaud is Algiris. You know, this is a guy who, when he gets hurt, they didn't throw him away. You know, they didn't forget about him. They didn't try to get out of the contract. They didn't try to cut it. You know, they, they stayed with him. They helped him immediately, you know, do the proper therapy, you know, get the surgery. They were with him every step of the way. And that's what you like to see, that professionalism, you know, from clubs. So shout out to Zagiris, you know, for taking care of guys. And, you know, those are things that don't go unnoticed. You know, when you're a player, you see how you treat players. And, you know, they did everything right. And if anyone deserves this performance, it's Zagiris, you know, for seeing, you know, it through, for taking care of the player. This is the reward you get when you treat players appropriately and when you have their back. You know, they're going to go out there. They're going to fight. They're going to battle for you. They're going to do everything. And, you know, I'm just happy to see, you know, a player succeed and a team, you know, have that success that does things the right way. So shout out to my Lithuanians out there. It, it's good you mentioned uh, Jalgris and they were treated uh, Keenan Evans because when he got injured, it was opening minutes of the game against Fenerbahce on January 5th. I think that he, he left the court uh, soon, then he left the gym. And I think that in the next hour or two, he was on a surgery table already and he was uh, treated and operated by what well, I think that he's one of the best knee experts in, in the entire Europe, uh, Rimtotas Gudas. He's he's really good at it and he's top, top uh, doctor uh, here in Lithuania. And I think that it also, the way they reacted, how fast they reacted in this situation under these circumstances, I really think that long term it helped him to have a successful recovery. But of course, a lot of goes on Keenan Evans. I heard that he was really disciplined during during the recovery process. Uh, he was really serious. He treated his body really well. And probably, you know, a lot of work was behind this great outing against uh, Virtus Bologna that night. So kudos to both to Jalgiris Rimtotas Gudas and also Keenan Evans by himself. Yeah, that doctor, ooh, his price just went up. Every time <laughs> Keenan Evans plays good, hey, hey, we need him. <laughs> hey, you keep doing what you do, doc. You're changing the game. <laughs> just just one last question I have for you guys. Uh, in my eyes, Valencia pulled off what might be an upset of round one by beating uh, Monaco, a team that many thought would make it to the final four again or even contend for the title. And I'm not just talking about Valencia in particular, but what would be your pick for a team that could surprise everyone this season? Who do you think are the dark horses of, of the EuroLeague season? Red Star. Yeah, I might get a couple, a couple of DMs from, from my fans or uh, partisan, but I think Red Star, Red Star is a team that looks really, really good. You know, it's a team that nobody really talk about very much but I got three picks I got Red Star I got Valencia Valencia is another guy that nobody really talks much but Jones Chris Jones is, is running the team very well he's, 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 he's showing that he's capable of being one of the elite guards out there in Europe and, and when you bring Davis into a team that uh, that plays the way they play it's, it's, it's really good to see them and one that nobody talks about but you always have to be be, be, be knowing that Coach Lasso always gonna have those guys ready to play. I think Bayer with with Francisco is a young guy that's trying to improve himself. Chana Chana Comar Bolmaro is another guy. They got Carson Edwards didn't really have a chance to play last year, but he's a guy that that we know that can score. And then they bring a player like Serge Ibaka, a veteran guy, 
a guy that can and can show the way to those young guys and, and, and show them and, and have a good good career. So I think those three teams is going to be teams that uh, it's going to be a lot to talk about. Yeah, I, I started Milan. Like I liked what Milan brought. That size, um, I think um, that's hard to combat. Those guys who can really shoot it, they have interior presence. They're always going to be able to find mismatches. And as the season progresses, they'll be better and better. Like this is game one. You know, imagine when that chemistry is built, when the system is fully understood, when all players are integrated. You know, I think um, Billy Barron's really going to help elevate them. And Devin Hall, you know, those are two guys who are going to give them a little punch on the perimeter. So Milan, I think, has that potential to really surprise people based on, you know, where they were last year, you know, some of their struggles before Shabazz came. And then uh, Red Star, you know, I, hey, I know it was Asbel, you know, I know. But there's a certain quality of basketball that you see. You know, it doesn't matter who you play when that ball moves, when it's going side to side, when everybody's touching, when everybody's involved, when you see guys that look like they enjoy playing with one another, when you see a team strong on the rebounds, um, strong on ball movement, strong in the pick and roll, good in isolation, targeting the mismatch. These are the things you look at. You're not looking at just the opponent. You're looking at how fast they find solutions. You know, what are they doing? You know, Asville obviously isn't a super quality team in terms of being a Final Four contender or something. But they do have size. They do have athleticism. And, you know, the fact that Red Star was able to dominate them on the glass like that is extremely impressive. And the fact that they were able to, you know, just have an answer for everything um, on that court. And to be, you know, they're going to bring defense, right? You know, you know they're always going to lock up. They're always going to fight the Serbian way, physical, tough, hard nose. But the way that this offense is flowing with that defense that they have, oh, that's something to be reckoned with. Man. First round takes uh, and projections for the season are always tricky. You you <laughs> might get burned about that. And in my few years of covering Euroleague, I learned that you cannot you cannot go too high or too low. So <laughs> I love the potential of Restar, but I'm not going to go too high with them. They got to be healthy uh, though. They got to be healthy. So if a key injury happens to a player, hey, yeah, it don't count. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know. Um, I already read a lot of interesting round one reactions like, oh, Partizan is not going to make the playoffs like the last year. They, they're trash. Oh, they were 0-3 uh, Bar- last year. I mean, last year, and then they turned it around. Like Exactly. <laughs> and I'll- I mean, Partizan, teams, teams like Partizan, uh, Fenerbahce, this team is always going to be up there for turn of five. For time. Never count out Abradovic, that's for sure. Yeah, never, and, never count him out. Yeah. I'll never go yeah. against the legend. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, there were there were reactions like, "Oh, Barcelona is going to win it all," you know, because of that great game against FS. There's no more shots, so they're gonna be free. They're gonna play, you know, offensive-minded uh, uh, game. I mean, a lot of overreactions, I would say that, which is normal because you know, fans they were missing Euroleague basketball, so they might get too high uh, very early. But I thought, in general, you as a players. Did you have like did you do you remember any of your let's say early into the season overreactions toward yourself toward your team or or something else that you remember and you you're kind of you know you you regret your your early predictions uh, I mean for me myself personally I mean uh, last year I started somewhere and finished somewhere and, and you know it was it was a great season for me, you know. Yeah. Last year we we had a really really unbelievable team in, in Gala. Then 
for for stuff that happens. I mean, uh, Izmir and Kashaka wanted me, so they let me go. And then people at the beginning were saying, "Why are you guys bring in a player that, that currently playing Gala? He was playing really bad in Gala. He's not one of the good. What you guys are doing?" And then a couple months later, the fans was loving me, you know. So it's, it's it's early in the season. It's a long season, you know. It's a lot of up and downs. It's, 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 it's a lot of teams. They not trying to win and be first in, in October, November. They trying to get to January, February, and, and be in that shape of being competitive. And, and and it's tough to be out of one game, make it a, a be too high or too low. You know, it's a long season. It's ten months. Yeah, for me, it was probably two times. Um... One time is when I was in Gala, and I seen the roster. I was like, man, we're going to be really good. We're really good. And then the preseason started, and, like, we were struggling. And then Ottoman goes on and says, we're going to win the Euro Cup and go to the other. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> like, I hope we do, but I thought we were when I seen the roster. And then we're like, we're struggling to, like, find our rhythm. And, like, and then you started to see the potential, and you started to see it growing. And then after like a month or two, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe we can win it. And <laughs> we got a chance. We got and a chance. We, we got a chance. Kind of, and so <laughs> then on the, on the back end of that, um, I was in, um, Kimki and I look at the roster. I sign. Oh man, we're going to be amazing. Greg Monroe, Lexi Shev, um, uh, Stefan Jovic, um, Giannis Tema. Uh, yeah, Epco was on that team as well. Yeah, I mean, it was Jonas Repko, Devin Booker, Jordan, Mickey. I say, oh my goodness, this is a ridiculous team. And it was like, but we didn't play how we should have played. We should have played inside out. And we didn't. Like, you know, I expressed my opinion. Uh, the players did. I was like, let's play inside. I'm a guard. And I'm like, oh, we have these bigs. Jordan, Mickey, Devin Booker, Greg Monroe. Greg Monroe's the best low post player I've seen. No one can guard him. I've seen him make a quality bigs just look horrible. And we we just didn't play inside out. Um, I think the coach wanted to play inside out, but I think things were beyond his control. Um, <laughs> and so we continue to just jack up three-point shots and just shoot difficult shots and and I feel like if we would have played inside out, let the game come to us, ball movement, more of an equal opportunity thing, I think things could have been special. And then we ended up being horrible because we didn't play through our strengths and you know that so I've been on two sides of the spectrum and that's when I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and it's just it's a good feeling when you underestimate yourself. You're like, I don't know. And then the team ends up being great. You know, kinda like that year at Gala or even last year at Kashyyyk, I'm like, man, we're struggling a little bit. Then Brian comes and we we go last up high. Last, last year. So like oh, but to be on the other end when you have all these expectations, everybody's talking about how great you are, and then you just lay an egg. Oh that really hurts your heart as a player because you're like, dang, you're trying to do everything to prepare. And it's it's discouraging and you know, you put so much effort into the game and just to see it not work. Well, it was Brian and Gala or you know, me and Kimki with my squad and with us just not winning. You know, you it's something that you carry with you and you're like, Man, things could have been different if but you know, you live and you learn. You continue to work, and you know, God willing, you you get more winning seasons than losing, and you just stay healthy and keep playing the best you can. Control what you can control, young guys, and just never get too high, never get too low. 
in any yes. situation. Whether you're predicting something, <laughs> whether you're believing in your team or you're having a roller coaster season, you never know how the things might end up. I mean, I heard from from people close to Real Madrid that at, at some points of the season, I mean, when they won the EuroLeague, they said that, I mean, we didn't believe that we can, you know, uh, go all the way. We didn't believe that we we're going to win. I've even heard rumors that, you know, their head coach was close to be thrown out and he was already in some discussions with the other EuroLeague team. So the situation was that bad, but EuroLeague is, and European basketball is, I think it's a little bit different compared to the NBA. You know, a lot of unpredictable things might happen and change the momentum of the season like Gorshan Yabisela did in, in, in Partizan series. So so you, you just never know. It's, it's, it's a long season. It's a long, long road, you know. It's a lot of up and downs. Like every step for young players, just control what you can control. Stay in the gym, get you working, stay stay focused, stay like thing, and, and everything goes around, you know. What goes around, come around, you know. And then as long as you show up and do your work, I mean, everything's going to Okay, gentlemen, so thanks for your time. Uh, Eric, it's great to see you back. Uh, Brian, it's a pity you're not in the EuroLeague. You signed with Maccabi. There was this medical thing, but we're probably sure, especially Eric is sure, who who led a lot of players to the EuroLeague that it's just a matter of time that you're going to join the, the pack. And, of course, we, I wish everybody peace. I hope things in, in Israel uh, will change dramatically and everybody will be able to get back home and to enjoy watching basketball without yeah right. so uh, well thanks for having me uh, appreciate it as always and you know peace in Israel I hope um, you know, the people can be safe and you know I want no more harm to them you know Israel's a special place for me as well I played two years there started my career overseas there you know I love that country me and my wife actually went um, during the FIBA break last year um to Tel Aviv and Jerusalem so she could see you know, the places and everything. And, you know, it was just a special place. So, you know, definitely praying for the people in Israel and, you know, hoping um, things can come to some type of normalcy for the people. For me, thanks. Thanks for having me, man. It was a pleasure to be here, you know, to be in the legendary bonus podcast, you know. It's my first time. Also. 